Yeah, I'm here. I'm live today. We're not on the screen anymore. And if you want to run, we got the doors blocked. You can't get out, right? You're stuck with me today. So, hey, what's, what's wrong with being confident? What's, what's wrong with being confident? What I know about you and me is that we want to be confident, right? We want to feel confident. When we look in the mirror, you want to leave and you want to say, man, I feel good about myself. I feel so confident. And we spend lots of money and lots of time on trying to make ourselves where we feel confident, right? We want to feel confident this morning. So at least when you walk out today, if nothing else, you can say, hey, this redheaded dude came out sort of dancing to a confident song, and then you can just tell him that, and that'll be good, and that's, that's what you got. So at least you have something to take home with you um, from, from church today. But what's wrong with being confident? Absolutely Nothing is wrong with being confident. We're going to get to that in a minute. I'm Phil. I'm the Impact and Groups Director here at the Summit Church, and I'm so excited to be here. Jonathan called me about two and a half, three weeks ago and said, hey, do you want to speak? Sure, I'll speak. I didn't realize it was for adult service, and sure, I guess I'm, I'm signed up for that now. So I'm speaking at adult service, and he wanted it to be a surprise today. And, and I, he said he wanted to have the shock value where, you know, you guys were like, whoa, who's this guy speaking? But I really think it was because he knew that if he announced it ahead of time, it, we were going to have a uh, decline in attendance this morning. So I'm not Jonathan. I don't have his hair. I don't have his looks. But I'm going to do my best to bring the word, and we're going to learn something together, okay? Okay, you guys good with that? We're going to have a little fun, a little more energy, and I talk a lot faster than Jonathan, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm just going to keep doing it. Well, today we are wrapping up our series called One Another, and this whole idea stems from when Jesus talked about in John how we should love other people the way that he loved us, which if you really think about it, is kind of a big ask, right? I mean, that's, I can't even fathom that, but that's what he asked. He said, really, the way that you love others is the way that you love me, right? So if you don't love somebody, you're really saying you don't love me. And so this was a big ask. And so we've done something for the last 12 weeks talking about one another. And today we're going to ask the same question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? And today what I hope you get is that love requires all of us to believe that we are better together, that we are better together, that you and I are better together. That's what I feel like we need to get today. Turn to somebody right now and say, we are better together. Tell them, we are better together. Just like first service, some of y'all were excited to tell the person beside you. Some of y'all were like, we're better together, depending on if you like the person or don't like the person. Or if you're sitting beside someone, <clears throat> students that you do like, and you're like, hey, girl, we're better together. You know, man, this can go so many different ways. So you're welcome. I'll, I'll take my payments after. But we are better together. You and I are better together. And there are many things in this world that are just better together. Two of them are, are right here. Peanut butter and jelly, great by themselves. Like, I love some peanut butter. I love some jelly. But when you put these things together, I mean, it is incredible what happens. You all of a sudden have the most incredible taste that your, your taste buds are going nuts because these are just better together. And in fact, they're so good together that they actually goober, which I think that's pretty funny. Goober, really, that's the best name. But goober grape is now, it's already pre-mixed for you. You can buy that. So it's so good together that they already have it made that way. So there are some other things that are better together. I went on Google, and I Googled the top 10 things that people say are better together. So if you don't like these, don't blame me. Blame Google. Here we go. First one, peanut butter and jelly. 
better together. Absolutely. The next one, one of my all-time favorites from a kid, mac and cheese. Anybody, any mac and cheese fans? If you're not raising your hand right now, well, hell is hot. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Macaroni and cheese is amazing. All right, the third thing up here, milk and cookies. Wow, okay. Nobody like, okay, I don't know about this because I don't drink milk, but my wife always has milk with her cookies, so I'm just guessing they're good together. All right, the next thing we have up here, chips and salsa. Oh, I knew I'd get some of that. I mean, do you guys feel like that sometimes you're like an Hispanic person trapped in a white person's body? I mean, for real. Every single time I ask my wife where she wants to go to eat, Don Juan's, Don Juan's, we always are eating Mexican food because we love some chips and salsa and some fajitas. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I can drop the mic. Fajita, baby. All right. Next thing on the list we have, salt and pepper. All right, that wasn't that great. Okay. All right. Next one, movies and popcorn. Yes, unless you're taking, you know, a girl on a first date and she's like, I really want some popcorn. You're like, I ain't got no money for popcorn. <laughs> like, $10, girl, you got the movie or nothing. You ain't getting pop. But if you do it at home, definitely popcorn is better with movies. What's the next thing we have? Chocolate and peanut butter. Anybody, any Reese's fans out there? I mean, Reese's, that's the bomb. I like when you freeze them and you, oh, it's so good. All right, next one we have up here, ice and soda. I guess that's a good thing. I don't like hot soda. Okay, let's just keep going now. Bacon and eggs. Come on now. I mean, our church, like, I mean, we made, we got tons of people because of bacon, right? And that whole, that whole series went over really well. And uh, and we have, we have another one coming up here. Oh, oh, you've been seeing, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Hey man, I'm done. Uh, UNC and national champion. Man, that goes, wow, did that, did that I love who I can't see you, but man, you and I are gonna talk after. UNC and Na- did that happen? Oh yeah, that happened last year. Oh okay, yeah, UNC and national champion. All of these things go great together. Just like you and I go great together. All of these things are better together, just like you and I are better together. And we have two questions that we're gonna look at today. And these are gonna be our guiding questions. And I hope by the end you're gonna be able to answer these questions. Here they are, right here. Here's the two questions. Where's my confidence? think right now, where is my confidence? And the second question is, how can I motivate? Where is my confidence? How can I motivate? These are going to guide us through the rest of today, and hopefully by the end, we will have the answers for these two questions. Where's my confidence? How can I motivate? So I played basketball my entire life. I know you probably don't believe it because I'm short and slow, and now I'm just feeling old, right, because I'm above 30, and that's just things go downhill from there, right? But back when I was younger, I actually played basketball, and my coach would tell us from day one that we are better together. You guys are better together. You're not better individually. You're better together. So play as a team. And so what he would do is he would prove this to us every season, our first two practices. The first practice, he would bring us in individually, one person Mono we mono, the coach and that person. So he would bring you in, put you on the end line, and say, I want you to run as many suicides as you can possibly run before you just die, right? And so you're, you're running suicides, and that's from, like, the end line back to the uh, foul line and back, half court back. I mean, it's horrible. That's why they call them suicides. And so I'm in there, and I'm running these suicides by myself, and I can't remember the exact number, but I got somewhere between 8 and 10, which I thought was pretty good, and I came crawling back, dying out of breath. And he's like, okay, brought the next person in. They did about the same amount. The next day, he brought the whole team in and said, all right, I want all of y'all to stand on the end line, and I want you guys to run suicides together. We're like, really? Another day of suicide? Okay, whatever. So we start running these suicides, and undoubtedly, every single year he would do this, we would almost double 
the amount of suicides that we could run together as opposed to by ourselves. Why is this? Because I think it's a little bit easier when you can look over and you see other people who are doing this deal with you. And together, you guys can go a lot further. He would always say, individually, you can go faster, but together, you can go further, faster, right? I've seen way too many people by themselves get somewhere really quick, but it ends up getting them in a lot of trouble, or it ends up leading to a dead end. It's because they're doing it by themselves. It may take a little bit longer together, but together, we can get further, faster. And that's what I want to talk about. It's why are we better together? Because we can get there further, faster. I am so glad in my life I've had people that have come alongside me when I'm struggling and saying, hey, Phil, you can get through this. You can do it. What's even better is when someone says, hey, I've been there. I've done that. This is how I got through it. Guys, life is better together. We are better together. We went to a conference called the Drive Conference about two months ago as a staff, and it was a conference with a ton of churches from all over the globe. It wasn't just in the U.S. It was everywhere. And they all came together, and the the whole theme was this theme of if we come together as churches, we can go further, faster. If we keep acting like, hey, I'm this church, and I'm competing against this church, and we're competing, I mean, God is probably looking down like, you guys just stop. You're screwing up what I started and just stop doing it. Because what he really wants is for us as a church, as a body, to come together. Imagine the difference in our world if we came together. Imagine the world we would leave behind for our kids if we could just learn to come together as a country. Because this doesn't just work for church, right? This works for our country. I'm going to get real real quick. Okay. I have been alive during some really crazy times in our country. For the past two decades, everything from terrorism to ISIS to going overseas to fighting stuff to having protests here, all the violence, all the division, all that stuff. Guys, imagine what would happen if our country could get a hold of this, that we are better together. We are better together. It's true for our church. It's true for our country. It's true for your marriage. If your marriage is struggling, maybe you ain't together. Get on the same page and see what happens. Some friendships, a relationship, your job. If you're not working together, you're working against each other. We are better together. That's how God intended us to do this thing together. In my opinion, this right now is not the worst time for the church. This is the best time for the church because we have the hope that the rest of the world is desperately looking for. And so when I look at the news, I'm not like, oh, this is the end. Get, pack your bags, get everything ready. The Lord is coming. No, I think this is when revival is going to break out because it's, I mean, it is ripe out there for the picking. People are looking for hope, and we have that hope. So this is not the time for us to say, oh, woe is me. This is a time for the church to step up with confidence and to lead this next generation to the hope that we have living inside of us. This is not the time to be scared. This is the time to be excited because we have so much opportunity, and together we can do it. All right, we're going to jump right in. Yeah, I'm actually going to preach from Scripture today. All right, we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in Hebrews today. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We just know that he was writing this letter to a group of Jewish Christians who had been persecuted, and they were ready to throw in the towel 
and absolutely give up because they had gone through so much. And today we're going to start in chapter 10 and we're going to work backwards and then we're going to come back to chapter 10 and you're going to see how it all works out. So stay with me, okay? We're starting here, then we're going to work back and then work back. Some of you guys are ready to go home. Just stay. I promise it's all going to make sense. All right, let's jump right in. So we're going to start in chapter 10, verses 24, and it says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another toward acts of love and good works. Let's pray. We're going to jump into this. Lord, thank you so much for this word. Speak to me. Speak through me. Speak to us. Change us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So it's my junior prom. All right. I'm so excited because this is the, really the first prom where I actually had a date that wanted to go with me. I didn't have to pay anyone or like tell somebody I actually had a date that like wanted to go with me to the prom. So I'm so pumped. But the girl I was dating, she was from a really big school in our state, like one of the biggest schools. And I went to this little like private, like little house on the prairie kind of thing. It was like just not cool. So I knew taking this girl to my school was not going to be impressive. So I was like, I've got to find a way to impress this girl because, I mean, I want this to be an amazing experience. This is my first, my first girl that actually wanted to go with me. So I'm like, I've got to make this cool. So I go out to the tuck store and I'm looking around for all these tuxes and I see these black ones and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't want this. I need something more. And then I got this divine inspiration from Dumb and Dumber. If you guys have not seen that movie, it will get you through life. It will teach you how to stay warm on a cold day on a moped. It will do all kinds of amazing things in your life. And this brilliant moment was when it inspired me to go get, oh yeah, a brightly colored neon tuxedo. Because I remember when Harry walked up in that party, he had that tux on, everybody took notice. So I went around and it was my mission to find a cool tux. So I found a lime green tux. And I put this mug on and I felt like just on top of the world. Pimping ain't easy. This is all good. <laughs> but pimping's expensive though, man. That, that tux was like double the price. But I was so happy. I had this thing. And I walk out and the lady's like, listen, you can't just buy the tux. You got to get the top hat and the cane. Oh, well, of course I do. Where is it at? You know, so now I got this lime green tux, a top hat, a cane. I got my big old diamond. I mean, I am just, this is player, player, awesome. I'm walking out. I get home. I show my dad, and he's like, first when he gets past the, what have you done? Then he's like, hey, you know what? Since you've made this dumb decision, I'm going to help you a little more. I actually know a person who just redid a Volkswagen Beetle, and it's the same color as your tux. I'm like, No. No way. So I'm like, this is going to happen. So I go and sweet talk this guy. I get this thing. And I'm like, what can I do to make it better? Oh, a red carpet. So I get some red fabric. I roll this baby up. And I'm like, when I roll up, I'm going to kick the door and just whew, roll it out, baby. So here's, here's, here's the picture. Oh, actually, it's right here. So it actually, um, this actually did happen right here. Here's me. That's not my wife. She's okay with this. I moved on to bigger and better things, okay? Actually, I shouldn't say bigger, but better things. Anyways, better things. But this is me with my lime green, the whole deal. So I'm, so I'm rolling up in this thing, and I'm picking her up. And she's like, what have you done? Like, well, what's going on here? And I'm like, honey, I mean, look at this. So she was pretty impressed. I mean, it's back in the early 2000s, easy to impress girls. She was impressed by this. So I pick her up. We go to the school, man, and I'm just, I'm confident. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I kicked the door open, not literally because it was someone else's. I opened it slowly, and I, but I did roll the red carpet out. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I can't believe it. You know, we're walking in, and we weren't just walking. You know when you have that confidence? You don't walk. It's more of like a, uh. It's like, uh. 
My leg ain't broke. I just confident, bro. Uh-uh. What you talking? We strutted into that school. We, I mean, we strutted right up into that door. And then it was like, oh. Listen, if any of you guys are on PTA, PTO, PT, whatever. Okay, when you're planning a, a junior prom, okay, don't use this theme right here. So out of all the creative minds at our awesome school, they thought of the theme of under the sea. Under, I'm talking Little Mermaid, Sebastian the Crab, under the flipping sea. So I'm walking in, and the first thing we see is under the sea. And then I look to my right, and I see this blue crumpled up paper on the wall. I think it was supposed to be like waves and water, but it looked like blue crumpled up paper. And the other wall had the same thing. And immediately I'm like, no, nothing could have ruined this moment except for this, under the sea. So, like, my date's looking at me like, what kind of school is this again? I'm like, you're going to be okay. We'll make it through. So we get down to our table, and we're sitting around the table, and they got really creative with the centerpieces, okay, really creative. They couldn't think of anything better than, than, than this right here. They had a, a fish bowl with a goldfish. Like, that was it. It was a black tablecloth with that on it. So we sat down, and I'm just like, dear God, dear God, dear God. I'm like, how can I redeem myself? So my friends and I were all talking. We got our dates there. And one of my friends speaks up and says, hey, wouldn't it be funny if, and like, I just want to stop it there, because if anyone ever says that to you, you know that your response when they finish that should be, no. Like, that wouldn't be funny. Like, but he says, wouldn't it be funny if, and then you know how the conversation goes when you're with your friends, it keeps going. He's like, wouldn't it be funny if somebody ate that goldfish? I was like, no. Like, everyone was like, no. But you know how it is. You start talking, and then slowly but surely, this really dumb idea starts sounding a little bit better, right? Everyone's talking like, okay, okay, yeah, okay. I see, I see, I see your point. And then slowly what happens is, Everyone at the table starts to team up against the person that they think is most likely to eat this goldfish. You guys know how this rolls, right? Because you can't convince everyone. You've got to team up on one person. Of, of course. I don't know why they would think I'd eat a goldfish, but that they, they started teaming up on me. And so slowly but surely, everyone started turning and pointing at me. They Phil, you should eat this goldfish. I'm like, what? I already said no, I'm not eating this. You should eat the goldfish. And they're telling me. And then you start making up stories, right? Like, well, back in the day, my great-grandmother, it was a delicacy. Like, people over in Japan, like, they eat goldfish. I'm like, no, they don't. They don't eat goldfish. And then the best one is, dude, I've had it. It tastes like chicken. I'm like, not every weird thing tastes like chicken, right? I mean, it just, that's not true. This goldfish doesn't taste like chicken. You know, so keep talking keep talking. And finally... I just say yes, fine. I'll eat the stinking goldfish, right? So then it takes me about 10 minutes to catch the goldfish because if you ever try to catch a fish, it's not just like, oh, come here, fishy. No, it's just, and they're slippery. They just keep slipping. So I finally caught the fish, and I'm holding it, and all of a sudden I get this glimmer from the girl I'm, I'm at prom with, and she's like, oh, oh and, I'm, and all of a sudden my mind goes to, oh, if I do this, oh, this is going to redeem my school. This is going to redeem everything. That was all I needed to go that last extra mile. So I'm like, boop, done. I'm sitting there, everyone's screaming. She's like, oh, I can't believe that's amazing. Ah, ah. And then about 13 seconds later, something called a gag reflex kicked in. Because you got this fish that's kind of flipping. It's still alive. It's right there. And you're like, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoo. And yes, I threw up all over the table, all over my day, and the fish was still sitting there. It was literally flipping around. I'm like, what just happened? 
where am I at now? Oh, gosh. All right, so why, why did I tell you this story? I told you this story for two reasons. I think you're going to enjoy this first one. The first reason is this. Our natural tendency is to motivate toward stupidity. Okay? Just think about it. Our natural tendency is to motivate towards stupidity. YouTube has made a fortune on this, right? I mean, anyone that has any dumb ideas like, oh, yeah, and let's video it and put it on YouTube. And then Tosh.0 and all these shows make fortunes off of people motivating other people toward stupidity because it is a natural thing to do. Number two, the other reason I, I shared this story with you is because motivation is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of confidence. In other words, before you can motivate me to do something really dumb or something really great or something out of my comfort zone or something that everyone else in society says I shouldn't do, you first have to convince me that I could or I should, right? I mean, they have, you have to have your confidence built up before you're able to motivate somebody. You have to build their confidence. So motivation is a byproduct of confidence. Back to Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. The writer of Hebrews understood this so well, that motivation is a byproduct of confidence, because this verse comes near the end of Hebrews, and there's a reason, because he spent the other chapters trying to build up and renew their confidence. He was talking to this group of Jews who had been persecuted and been through just ungodly things that we, we can't even imagine, and he's trying to convince them to motivate each other, but before they can do that, he's got to build up the confidence. See, I think most of us have this idea that once Jesus came and died, everything was good for Christian people. It wasn't. Imagine a dude coming down and saying, yeah, everything you guys have been doing for the past hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, I came and everything's going to change now. People weren't like, oh, hooray for Jesus. They killed him. He rose again. And so the people that decided to follow this risen Christ like, they weren't treated the best. They were, they were slandered. They were ridiculed. And many of them were killed. So you can imagine they're probably sitting there thinking, is this really worth it? Is all of this worth it? I mean, society is looking at me like I'm weird. Society is ridiculing me. Society is viewing me as closed-minded, as outsiders. Does that sound like Anything that's happening right now, right? Like all of a sudden, we're the closed-minded people. We're the people that, are, that, 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 that look weird. This is not the first time in history this has happened. It's happening right now to the church, right, where people are looking at us and saying, they're so closed-minded because they believe in biblical marriage. They're so closed-minded because they don't want to kill unborn babies. They're so closed. No, we're not closed-minded. We're following Jesus Christ. Like that's our, that's our rabbi. We are following him. And if you have the confidence in him, you can step up in those moments and say, yes, I know it's weird. Yes, I know it's not popular, but I believe it in love. That is what these people were going through right now. They had stood up for Jesus, and they were being ridiculed and killed because of it. And this writer was trying to build and renew their confidence and remind them of the God they serve. That's my prayer for all of us today, to have our confidence renewed. Because we understand that what we believe, that who we follow, that who lives in us is better. It's better. And that we would use that confidence to motivate each other toward acts of love and good 
works. If there's any time that we need the church to regain its confidence, it is right now. This is the most exciting time for the church. The most exciting time. But only if we have the confidence that we need in Christ. He uses two different strategies to build his case for their confidence. He uses context and contrast. Context is a very powerful thing, right? If you take things out of context, it can get really wonky. It can get really weird. Okay, I was actually talking to uh, Jacob yesterday, and I, I love this, this, this example was like perfect. So I'm just imagining this right here happening, okay? My wife texts me and says, hey, are you done shopping at the grocery store? And then I text back to her, yeah, this girl's checking me out right now. <laughs> out of context, you can see where that can take the mind in many different I mean, it can go so many different ways. Out of context, things can be a little foggy, right? Things can seem a lot worse than what they really are, or they can even seem a lot better than what they really are based on your context. And these Jews had started seeing things through their eyes, through their context. And they were like, this is impossible. We're never going to make it. This is the worst time ever for us. These, we're, we're just going to all die. That's how the, I feel like the church almost feels that way right now. Like, oh, all hope is lost. It's all over. And this author was trying to remind them, hey, listen, don't see things through your eyes. See things through his eyes. Hey, hey, do you remember all the things he promised that he would do? Like those promises are still good. He will still do them in your life. So don't get down. Don't think life's over. Look through the context of how Jesus sees your situations. This world is not all we have. It's not our only hope. And so he talks for chapter and chapter about the promises of God. So he uses context put things in context. And then he uses contrast. He says, guys, remember the old covenant when you had to like slaughter animals? And that's just disgusting, but slaughter animals. And that was the only way you could talk to Jesus. Yeah, like that changed. When Jesus came, the new covenant was put into place. Yeah, remember that curtain you couldn't get through? What happened to it when Jesus rose again? It was ripped into, which means you have full access to this God that you now serve, to these promises that he has given to you. Remember those hundreds of laws that you used to have to follow? Like, that's tough. Like, check, check, I didn't, check, check. Oh, no, I didn't do this one. Oh, boy, check, check. That's all gone. He came and he said, do two things for me. Love me, love others. If you do those two things, you're one of mine. And how do you love other people? The way I loved you. Is that not simpler? So he's reminding them. He's like, look at where you were and where he brought you. The contrast. Some of us need to remember where we were and where Christ brought us to regain our confidence this morning that we have a God that can get us through tough times if we stick in this thing together. I have to remember that. I have to remember where I came from and where I am now. That is the same God I still serve today. It's the same God I serve when I have a success. It's the same God I serve when I fail. He is never changing. And that is our confidence. Everyone has confidence. Every single person in this room has confidence. It's not something you can just, like, get rid of. Raise your hand if you have a car. I have a car. Okay, you have a car. Just because you're not in it right now doesn't mean the car doesn't exist. No, the car still exists. Same thing with your phone. Hopefully you're not on it right now unless you're taking notes. If you're playing games, then I get it, right? Just keep doing it. But 
Just because you're not using it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You have confidence. Some of you just kind of forgot where it was. You've lost it. You've misplaced your confidence. But I want to give you guys this hope. In Romans 8, 28, it says, We are all called according to his purpose. We are all called. Guess who can't take your calling? The devil. He can't take it. So what does he attack? Your confidence. Because he knows if he can get you to forget your confidence, you'll forget your calling, and then all of a sudden you're going to be suffering from PCS, which is puny Christian syndrome, and you're going to be sitting in your seat thinking that all your situations are bigger than your God when it's the opposite that is true, that our God is bigger than any situation we could ever face together or individually. He is better. He is better. So where is my confidence? Where is your confidence? It needs to be in this right here, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than anything you can snort. I promise. He's better than anything you can chug. He's better than any addiction that you think is fulfilling your life right now. He's better than any website that you're visiting at night and you think nobody knows about it. He's better than any woman you have on the side. He's better than any other thing that you're trying to put in place of that. He's better. And all of those things are going to produce a temporary confidence that makes you believe that you've got things together, but you really don't. The only way you can have true confidence is in this right here, that Jesus, the God you serve, the God that's in you that's in me is better than anything else this world can offer and if you don't believe that today you've misplaced your confidence your confidence you've put it in your job you put it in your family you put it in relationships and all those areas that you put it in are going to give you temporary confidence and they're going to let you down but if you put your confidence in this that Jesus is better then you will have the confidence you need to motivate people towards acts of love and good deeds. So we have to have our confidence today. Tell somebody right now, Jesus is better. Jesus is, say it like you mean it, Jesus is better. It's time we wrap our minds around that. Because when we get this confidence, this confidence allows us to do things in spite of. You fill in the blank. In spite of what your friend's think is cool, in spite of what this world is yelling at us, in spite of what everyone else thinks is right and cool. Godly confidence enables you to do things in spite of, to say yes when everyone else thinks you should say no, to step up when everyone else says to step down. That kind of confidence enables you to do things in spite of. So where is your confidence? It should be in Jesus. So he spends seven chapters building their confidence, and then he gets to the action steps, which we're going to do right now. He says three statements. One is, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. So he says, hey, because of your confidence, you can have confidence in your relationship with God. That's the first step. The second step is verse 23. Now let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. You guys believe that? Like he can be trusted. He will keep his side of the bargain. And 24 leads us up to the verse that we've been focusing on today. So now, now that we're confident in our relationship with God, now that we're confident, right, that he has promised stuff and we can trust him now, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This wasn't what it was all about. It was all about the confidence that leads you to be able to do this. 
If you've lost your confidence today, you need to have it back. You need to know your God is bigger. Your God is better than anything you will ever face in your life. He's bigger than any bad news story. He's bigger than anybody at school or at work that's, that's ridiculed. He's bigger than all of those situations. And if we can get that confidence, we can think of ways to motivate. So we're going to those three words real quick. Let us think. The word let us. We can't do this alone. It's an us thing. We are better together. The author knew the only way these Jews would be able to make it would be if they stood together in this confidence. Church, the only way we're going to make it is if we stand together in the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. That is the only way. Jesus is better. We have to all agree with that. There's confidence in numbers. You guys have probably seen this before. You look over, you see somebody else doing it. It's easier for you to do. Some of you are sitting here right now because somebody took the step to come to church and invited you. Think. Let us think. The last word is think. Remember the statement I said before, how our natural tendency is to motivate towards stupidity? <laughs> That's because we don't think. <laughs> like I was not thinking when I ate that dumb goldfish. That was terrible. Awful decision. I wasn't thinking. Think. In other words, it's not something that just happens. It has to be an intentional thought-out process to motivate someone toward acts of love and good deeds because it's not natural. That's why we need each other. Let us motivate toward acts of love and good deeds. So what are some ways we can motivate? Three ways here real quick. We can speak up. Jesus, he spoke up. We can circle up. Jesus circled up, and we can step up because Jesus stepped up. What does speak up mean? Speak up means to share your story. You all have a story, and it's the most powerful thing that you have in your life. Nobody can discount your story, what happened to you, where this big God took you from. Share your story. That's the first thing. The next thing, circle up. Share life with each other. Jesus did this. The first thing he did was he picked out 12 people to do life with. Because sometimes when you realize that somebody else has been through what you're going through, it makes it a little bit easier to go through it yourself, right? So circle up. Share stories with each other. And the last one, step up. Do something. This looks like a well-oiled machine, but guys, there are so many opportunities to serve here at the summit. We need small group leaders in Impact. We need small group leaders in Peak. We need small group leaders in every single ministry. This setup doesn't happen by itself. We need people to help with this as well. Some of y'all need to step up because when you step up, somebody else may step up. So where is your confidence that Jesus is better? How can you motivate? Speak up, circle up, and step up. And the last thing I want to say, somebody in this room today needs you to lead by example and step up. I needed to see somebody do that. Someone needs you to do that. Right now in this room, they need to see you step up. Someone needs you to share your story. Someone needs to know that they are not alone going through what they're going through. And the only way that may happen is if you get the courage to share your story. Guys, we can do this together because we are better together. And I truly believe that we can go further faster if we do this thing together. So let's do it together, okay? Cool? That's this one. You can kind of do one of these deals, right? Okay, you can move because you're probably about to fall asleep. We're better together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to share your word today. I thank you for your design. I mean, none of this was by mistake. You, you, have, you have purposed all of us to do this life together. 
with other people by our side, other people cheering us on, other people to share in our struggles, other people to share in our victories. And God, we thank you for this beautiful design. And I pray that all of us would understand that we are better together and that together we can go further, faster than we can by ourselves. Thank you for your word. I pray that we would take this and carry this into our work week, carry this into our families, into our marriages, and carry this out into the whole community. In your name we pray. Amen.